Um, I might pray and then we can, I can explain the first slide. Loving God, um, we know that you are with us now, that you are in and through all things, doing everything that you can in every moment to bring the true, the good and the beautiful to light. And so we just want to acknowledge that and invite you to do your work in us and through us and around us today. Amen. Yeah, so this week, um, we're talking about uh, forgiveness, and um, if there's anything I want you to take away from today, it's that uh, I think the whole thing of forgiveness needs to be a team sport rather than an individual sport. So that's your takeaway. If you, if you sort of tune out from here on in, <laughs> uh, which is fine and understandable, uh, that's the thing I want you to take away. I was out last night talking to people about tennis versus soccer and the fact that I can't watch tennis because I just find it too psychologically difficult to watch the whole weight of a match sit on the shoulders of one person and that they have to endure that defeat alone. It just seems unfair. It seems too much and I can't cope with it. So I love watching team sport and I, I can cope with a, a loss in a team sport because the whole team get to comfort each other, and, you know, and to share that grief. Uh, so I think the same, and we will come back to this obviously, but I think the same when it comes to things like forgiveness and not judging and all of that kind of thing. It's, uh, it's too much as an individual sport, but it can be beautiful as a team sport. Um, anyway. So that's like an executive summary at the beginning. You can now tune out. Um, this is a quote from the Didache, which is an anonymous first century Christian text. There are two ways, one of life and one of death. Uh, I was listening to something this week. Most of my stories begin with me saying I was listening to something this week, which was talking about how many of the early Christian texts were wisdom texts, were all about how to live, not so much telling the story of Jesus or talking about propositions that you had to believe, but saying, how do you live? And how do you live in such a way that you are moving in the direction of life and not in the direction of death? And I feel like that's what we've really been trying to do in this series. The series is called The Way of Jesus as a Wisdom Tradition, and we are really trying to explore together what it means to follow Jesus in the direction of life. Um, and to not follow the way that leads to, to death and to violence and to disconnection. So Shane did, um, I think, a really powerful job over the last few weeks describing in a beautifully grounded and detailed way the, the way of death in our own time. Because you know, over time, over history, it's it's kind of manifested itself in different ways, the way of death. Um, and he, he talked, based on the work he's doing in his thesis with a therapist, an American therapist called Bruce Rogers Vaughan, talked about capitalism as a social imaginary, um, as a way that has captured our entire imagination and put us in the service of productivity, efficiency, 
independence and success. And he talked about the alternative model that Jesus offered as a failed Messiah rather than a Messiah of productivity and efficiency and success, a, a Messiah of rest and care and interdependence um, and things that look like failure but are actually life-giving. Shane talked about the way that um, the values that drive our culture really do mean that those groups that Jesus spent the most time with, the poor, the sick, the outcast, and the sinners, that all of those groups are left behind and become invisible. Um, and that the way of Jesus is a way of resisting that um, in the interests of the poor, the sick, the outcast, and the sinners. So in this spirit, uh, the same spirit, I want to look briefly today at um, forgiveness and at um, not judging or non-judgment. Uh, so during the week, for those who got the weekly note, I sent out a couple of passages and I invited you to do um, a little activity. And the activity is, was designed to help us do what we've been trying to do all through this series, which is Kind of think about the image of God that sits behind the passages that we read and how that might change the way we experience those passages. Um, and so the activity I invited you to, to uh, hope, hope a few people did it, <laughs> the activity was to sort of look at um, these two passages and to read them from two different perspectives. Yeah? So the first perspective was to read them as the words of a slave owner to their slaves. And the second perspective was to read them as the words of a loving mother to her adult children. So hopefully some of you did that, but we might just do that again together, just to re-familiarize ourselves with the passages and um, just so those who didn't get to do that activity, get a chance to do it. Yeah? So we're just going to, I'm just going to ask for a volunteer to read in a second. So have a think about whether you're willing to put your hand up for that. But we'll just read it through once. And yeah, I just want you to, to read it with that lens of a slave owner talking to their slaves. And we'll have just a minute to sit with that. And then we'll read it through a second time with the lens of a loving mother talking to her adult children. So would someone like to read it through twice for us. Thanks, Amanda. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbour's eye. Then Peter came up and said to him, Rabbi, 
if someone sins against me, how often should I forgive them? As many as seven times? Jesus said to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Thanks. So just, just for a minute, sitting with that lens of a slave owner talking to their slaves. thinking about how that perspective affects the way the words impact you emotionally, how they land in your body. So now I'm going to get Amanda to read it again from the perspective of what she actually is, which is a loving mother with adult children. (laughs) I didn't realise I had to go in. I didn't realise I had to... Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbour's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbour, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbour's eye. Then Peter came up and said to him, Rabbi, if someone sins against me, how often should I forgive them? As many as seven times? Jesus said to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Thanks, Amanda. So once again, just for a minute, sitting with that, from that perspective, with that lens, and how does it land differently with us emotionally? How does it land differently with us in our bodies? So the second thing I asked people to do in the weekly note was to reflect on whether there is another imaginary perspective that they could come up with that might be even more life-giving for you, Um, a perspective on these passages that would turn them into words of life, powerful words of life for you rather than words of judgment or death or whatever. Um, And I invited anyone that came up with something to and was willing to share that they might want to do that this morning. So, again, no pressure at all. Um, But did anyone have that experience of thinking of a different perspective on this passage, a different voice that could be saying these words that would be more, feel safer, feel more life-giving, feel more generative for you? The other thing, too, is if, if you have any other feedback on, on that experience of looking at these passages from those two perspectives and what, what the difference was, if any, how it felt different to you. Um, also, it'd be lovely to hear that as well. So any other thoughts, any other perspectives, any other things that you'd like to share about? Things that you, perhaps you noticed in the passage from one perspective that was harder to notice from the other or anything like that? Um, I'm not sure if this is super helpful, but it reminds me of when I read the screw tape letters for the first time, um, the Matthew 7 one, and the little demon guy was advising another demon, and he said the way that you keep someone, like, on Satan's side, obviously, I hold this very loosely, but um, is to make sure they're always concentrated on the faults of everybody else, and, like, 
sussing out what everybody in the pew next to them is doing and not actually focusing on, like, their heart or where they are with the divine. And so whenever I read this, I just think of that little screw tape demon screwing with us all by making us, like, hate each other. Um, So that's kind of the scope that I look at it through. But Thank you. I think one thing I noticed was the different perspectives of the slave owner and the mother was one interesting thing to experience, but even also the between the two passages. So I found myself much more, um, what's the word, struggling against the judging and being judged one versus the forgiveness one. And so I think maybe our own experiences of how we experience the world and what's happened to us through life even the sort of what feels more difficult and more tension um, was very interesting to observe and how the different roles played with that. So the idea of the slave owner um, wanting to be very, what's the word, calculating and what rights do I have, how far can I push things, what's the maximum that I'm entitled to as an, as an attitude and how that felt embodied here. Yeah. Yeah, and there's just a simple fact that um, Jesus does seem quite judgy in his encouragement to not judge in the first passage. It's like that kind of, be kind, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Hi there. I was just thinking that the, uh, the first passage really hinges on the fact that you need to know you've got a log in your own eye. And <clears throat> it's very easy for me to go, like, I've got no log. And, of course, what I probably need to do there is ask my wife, my children, my boss, and say, well, what are the logs? Because uh, sometimes when you've got a log in your eye, it's pretty hard to see the log in your eye. And then I was kind of thinking, like, well, not many people have said to me, Greg, what's the log that I've got in my eye? And, uh, and I'm thinking, well, I think we've got a problem here with log identification, and um, I just kind of think that you've got to be in a very secure place to say to other people, where are the logs? And, um, and I do find that you've got to be quite secure in the fact that you are kind of loved and worthwhile, and you've got a place in this world, because how on earth can you start to chop down the logs if you can't kind of We're just too insecure to really kind of deal with those. And uh, but if we are in a secure place, then I think you know there's a bit of a responsibility there to say, where are they, and what do I need to work on? And that's a whole different mindscape. To gosh, there's a lot wrong with this world, Um, and that's a challenge for me as well as everyone, I guess. Thanks, Greg. And I think yeah, you put your finger on a big element of why this needs to be a team sport and not an individual sport, that if, if you're creating, to, to show the kind of vulnerability that's required to actually ask people, like, what are the logs in my eye? You require a kind of an ecosystem of incredible kindness and care and trust um, before that's even possible. And I think, yeah, so often in church, this has been directed at individuals to say, you need to change your behaviour or, you know, 
guilt-inducing stuff for people that are already disempowered um, and to create an environment where you go, this is hard stuff, this is really vulnerable stuff and we need an environment of trust and care and safety before we can start to move into this space of interrogating ourselves rather than judging ourselves, you know. Yeah, thanks. So someone else over? Hey, Roz. Can I come to you, Polly? Thanks. Just relates a bit to Greg and what he was saying and just how a friend um, very gently and, and nicely spoke to me at one point. I was going through a bit of a, a time and um, I was probably being a bit um, whingy about um, some people or a person and um, just going on a bit. And she just said to me, just letting you know, I say this out of love, but you're not perfect either. And, um, and I didn't take it, you know, offensively. I, I just took it in the spirit that it was. And, you know, it wasn't anything particular, but it's just that reminder that, um, you know, in life, you know, none of us are perfect. And, and I've, I've hung on to that, and that was like about 10 years ago or something like that. And every so often, if I do start to get a bit judgy or whingy, you know, in, in situations, um, I, I do think, yeah, I, I'm not perfect either, and everyone's got their lens and everyone's got their stuff that they're going through but that was um one of the best things that anyone you know has said to me so (laughs) you're not perfect either everyone I say that out of love (laughs) thanks Ross Polly well I was just gonna say that so I'm it's for the first one like I it's often you know the crux of an argument right that well that that's I I didn't actually mean it that way or, or you know um I guess I do that have that tendency to see myself in that way. But I, as for the second one, I think the like seventy-seven times forgiveness is just—it feels unreasonable. It feels like um, it's—it feels impossible, you know, to forgive that many times. Like presumably, you know, the same, uh, you know. And I think that that's probably the one I'd struggle the most with. Um, Thank you. It is huge. And it does, I think it raises the important question of who forgiveness is for. Because I think if, if forgiveness is for the other person, then what Jesus is saying does seem like a huge weight or demand on us. Whereas if forgiveness is for us um, as a way of finding freedom in a situation where we're bound to another person, there's this, I'll post it um, this week, but there's a beautiful Nadia Bowles Weber. I don't know if you know her. She's a Lutheran pastor in the States. Just a great video where she talks about forgiveness as kind of bolt cutters to cut this chain that ties you to another person. And the idea of, and I guess this is really what I wanted to say today, is just that that forgiveness as, a, as an individual sport of me doing this really difficult thing for the sake of another person feels like a yeah feels like a really overwhelming burden but forgiveness is a practice of seeking my own freedom so I can then enter into kind of community in a different way feels different and and that to me is the journey that we need to take with forgiveness to find a way of understanding it as a a team sport, a practice that can create communities of liberation and care rather than it being what is so often done with passages like this, a really heavy burden for individuals to carry and heaviest for those who probably 
need to hear this least. That's what's so tragic about the way a lot of these passages are used in church, that people with like heavy level, I, I, <laughs> I hesitate to use the word scrupulosity, but um, yeah, people that, that are, um, have been brought up to really interrogate themselves all the time, and am I doing the right thing, am I doing the right thing? And these passages seem very, very heavy for those people when they don't necessarily need to be the ones shining that spotlight on their own behaviour or trying to be better in the way that they forgive other people. Um, but if we, yeah, if we see these passages as encouraging uh, an alternate form of community where the kinds of cycles or spirals of, of kind of violence and disconnection can be arrested through these kinds of interventions of asking myself, you know, are there things that I'm contributing to this? Are there ways in which I can stop engaging and then re-engage that will actually help to arrest this spiral? Not just for the other person's sake, but for the sake of this whole community. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm, that's, that's exactly my experience of these passages in the past, just going, it's too much, it's too much, I can't, I can't be asked um, to do these things. And especially with the way that forgiveness is often framed as um, letting people get away with things or um, trying to, you know, be the bigger person. I mean, the kinds of things that our parents encourage us to do as kids of like when someone keeps bullying us to just go, um, just ignore them or it's this well-intentioned but really violent practice of putting responsibility onto victims. And if we see forgiveness as that, as putting responsibility for bully, bullies' behaviour onto the victim, then it's, that's, that's, a, that's an awful thing to be loading onto ourselves and for Jesus to be saying, just keep putting up with it. Um, but I don't think, yeah, I don't think that that's what Jesus has in mind. Yeah. Anything else before we finish up? I've been struggling with this a little bit, partly because I can't imagine a um, slave owner saying this to his slave. But apart from that, just had a thought about um, uh, the idea of uh, communal forgiveness and thinking, well, exactly how would that work? And I think, and I'm interested in others' um, reaction to this, I'm thinking that when you have a, a whole society where uh, forgiveness is implicit in the way they uh, treat uh, criminals. For example, in the Netherlands, there's a very low rate of incarceration uh, and there's different ways of um, dealing with people who um, have transgressed what is seen as acceptable uh, behaviour and uh, wrong people. So, to me, that is an example I can think of where forgiveness is actually uh, built in, it's taken away from a particular person, because I am struggling a little bit with, um, yeah, some of this, but to me that's something that sort of came through, where you say it's not just an individual thing, because I'm thinking of things where I've been cross with my son, for example, and he's undoubtedly cross with me, and I'm thinking, how does that, um, in terms of forgiving each other, how does that become a thing that's not an individual responsibility? Who else would bear responsibility 
for uh, forgiveness of each other. So, yeah. Thank you. Fantastic questions. Thank you. Yeah. And clarifying to me about... Yeah. I do, I do think... Yeah. There's certainly not a suggestion that we as individuals aren't part of... Like, our individual acts of forgiveness aren't part of the equation. Um, I think, for me, the danger is when... I mean, you know, this is the kind of passage that American slave owners would preach to their... Um, you know, as well as slaves obey your masters, um, to maintain systems of inequality and oppression and violence. Um, and so, and I'm, in my experience, that happens a lot in church as well, of people in power using passages like this to encourage people to not speak truth to power, to not challenge authority, um, if they feel like the leader has done the wrong thing, to just put up with it. Um, and so I think that it's, it's, it's more that. It's not saying individuals have no role. It's just all about communal forgiveness. It's more about what ecosystem or what understanding of, of power, what um, relationships sit behind our understanding of this and are we just um, using it as a church and society has used it so much in the past to, to maintain systems of, of oppression and violence or... Is it actually doing what Jesus intended, and that's challenging those systems? I'll come to you in a second, Paul. Just briefly, um, I'm struck by how, oh, through my lens, it seems like it's quite simplistic. Like, oh, do not judge, and just forgive more times, as without a sort of um, a how-to. I'm struck by that, like, as if it's really just the number of times you've got to forgive, not the difficulty in, in how to. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking that um, individualism is much more of a modern, modern sort of construct that uh, we live with today. But in the time this text was written, it was about the community, it was about the nation. The, the, the lens wasn't there of the individual. So... Yeah, I really like what you've been saying. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Um, conscious of the time, so I'll just maybe say a couple of things. This is, again, something that we can um, pick up on next week. Um, but I do, I guess the, the one thing that I, I perhaps want to talk about briefly is what Sarah just raised, um, and that is the, the question of. And I think that this is, as I said, this is what I think Shane did an amazing job of in the last few weeks of trying to, trying to connect these principles to the ground and to, the, to make it not just principles but a wisdom practice, a wisdom tradition. And, um, I, yeah, I think we need to help each other. That's the whole idea of, of communities following a wisdom path is that we are helping each other to ground these things in our lived experience because that is incredibly difficult at times. I'm currently in a situation in my other workplace of um, uh, a staff literally disintegrating in front of my eyes, um, a new CEO that has acted in ways that people consider to be punitive and disproportionate, and so this kind of spiral of division and recrimination is now in place. And 
yeah, so I'm, I'm exactly in that place right now of going, okay, I have these principles of do not judge and forgive, be an agent of, of life and reconciliation and reconnection in this, in this place. I also have the principle of justice that needs to guide the way I operate in this, in this space and speaking truth to power and representing those who are disempowered. So how do I, how do I hold all of those things together? And I, I genuinely don't know in this situation what to do because everything I think of to do seems to maybe match one or two of those values and not the others. And I was talking to one of my colleagues whose final day is on Monday um, and he's leaving because he, he is saying to me, I, I don't think I can live within my values in this situation. I cannot work out how to navigate the situation without betraying myself. And that, that's the heart of this stuff. The heart of this stuff is communities who together are helping each other to take these beautiful life-giving principles and apply them to the very complex and difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in. And what I've found myself doing is just talking to so many people about this situation, to try to glean their wisdom, to try to bounce ideas off them. Could I do this? And they say, well, the thing is, if you do this, what, you, what you've neglected to consider is this person over here and how that might impact them. And it's, in, yeah, it's incredibly difficult. Um, and I, I do think that often in church contexts, these things, you, we're just told, okay, forgive, don't judge, all that kind of thing, and then not helped with the practice. But that can only, that can only take place in, place in the context of individual relationships and conversations, and, um, and that's been my experience. There's no, there, there, there was no, for me, no easy direct path from these principles to any clear course of action, and there still isn't. I'm still wrestling with it. I'm still talking to people and trying to find my way through. Um, but that, that, to me, is the beauty of a community like this where we have these opportunities to, to talk at all these different levels. You know, we have, we have this, but also that we have each other in different spaces, in small groups, in individual conversations to say, okay, we understand the beauty of this vision, but what might it look like in this particular circumstance that I'm facing right now? Because I, I just genuinely don't know. Um, so I'll keep you posted on that, <laughs> on that one. Whether, whether I can be the saviour that I aspire to be. Um, um, but yeah, I, I guess for today, you know, maybe I'll, I'll have a think, I'll talk to Shane and Tams and maybe we'll do a bit more on this next week. Um, you can send in your votes as well. But I guess for today, what I want you to take away from this is, I hope, not a heavy sense of individual responsibility to be people that don't judge and people that forgive. Um, but hopefully a lighter sense of what it might be to be a community in a world of productivity and judgment and polarisation, to be a community that aspires to something different and that aspires to helping each other be different helping to create a kind of ecosystem, what Greg was saying, an ecosystem here where it's possible to have the level of vulnerability that's required to say to someone, tell me about the logs in my eye. 
and to know that that will be delivered in a kind way that is not crushing, but actually life-giving. So that's, that's my aspiration today, just that, yeah, as I say, forgiveness as a team sport, non-judgment as a team sport, that we are a place that aspires to be safe enough that we can have those vulnerable conversations. And where we, we recognise that for some of us, being called on to be non-judgmental and forgiving is much more difficult than it is for others because of the circumstance they find themselves in um, and because of how disempowered they are and that our job with people like that is to advocate on their behalf, to help them to, um, to resist the ways that they're being bullied, for example. So again, it's, it's like, as always, I think with community, these conversations in this community, it's this kind of jump, jumping perspective of going, yes, we have these, these beautiful big principles up here, but we also recognise that down here it's super, super complex. And anything that we try to say here often will miss some of these things or be heard in a particular way that feels like judgment, that feels heavy for people in, who are part of the conversation. Um, yeah, so maybe we'll keep talking about it next week. Um, but yeah if, if, yeah, if it, if what we're talking about today does feel heavy to you at an individual level, please come and yeah, feel free to talk to me or talk to someone about it, because yeah, that's not the intention. Um, I came across this uh, prayer this week, which reminded me of, um, which inspired me, I guess, in this vision of forgiveness as a, as a path towards freedom rather than a heavy thing. Um, it's from, it's kind of adapted. Um, <laughs> I do apologise. I was, I realised when I talked about my workplace, I should give you something to look at so that you could just tune out. But, uh, I forgot. Yeah, the, what's going on there? Anyway, <laughs> no, taking it away. Um, yeah, so I wanted to, to finish before we have communion with this prayer, which is adapted from the Iona community. Um, as always, feel free um, to have a quick read of it to see if you feel comfortable praying it. Uh, feel free to not pray it if you don't feel comfortable praying it. But I'm just going to lead us in this prayer because I think it encapsulates a lot of the things that we aspire to be and the path that we aspire to follow as a community. So, again, with me if you feel comfortable. Following the way of Jesus, we commit ourselves in the service of others to seek justice and to live in peace, to care for the earth and to share the commonwealth of God's goodness to live in the freedom of forgiveness and the power of the spirit of love. Amen. I love that line, to live in the freedom of forgiveness. And yeah, I'll post that Nadia Bowles-Weber clip um, this week because yeah, it speaks to that really beautifully. Um, so with communion this week, Um, I was thinking that one way of thinking about communion is as an alternative vision of the world. A vision of humanity as one family and a vision as of the whole of life as a shared meal. Um, one of my favourite theologians, uh, Miroslav Volf, 
uses the image of humanity as a family and life as a shared meal to to challenge followers of Jesus on issues like distribution of wealth in the world. Um, I think it applies too to to issues of the way that we engage with each other in judgment and forgiveness. If we engage with life with the kind of imaginary context that everyone that we interact with we're going to have to eat dinner with at the end of the day, um, it, it transforms the way we interact with each other. But also... When we think about what we have, it's like the, the quote Shane shared last week about, you know, if there was a monkey that was hoarding a lot more bananas than they could ever eat while the other, banana, while the other monkeys had none, we, scientists would investigate what was wrong with that monkey. But if human beings do it, they end on the cover of Forbes magazine. Uh, and Miroslav Volf challenges us in the same way. If, how would we feel to sit at a dinner table with a full plate while our siblings at the end of the table had nothing on their plate. This is the challenge of the vision of Jesus. So as we come forward today, there are enough crackers for everyone today. I caught Tamsin throwing out the leftover crackers on a Monday, and I thought, you know what? Yeah, exactly. I didn't judge her, but it did make me think, let's put them all out so we get one each. At least, you know... At least we don't have to crack them with our knuckles that way. So, yeah, there's enough <laughs> crackers for everyone today. Um, but, yeah, as we eat and drink this morning and every week, I, I want to invite us to try to picture the meal as symbolic of the family meal God desires all people to share, as a reminder to us that God wants us to see everyone around us as family and to live as if that were the case. Uh, so... As always, if you don't want to participate, that's totally fine. Um, but if you do, just come forward, take a whole cracker and a little thing of juice. And then when we're in a, a loose circle, I will pray for us. Yeah, thanks. So I thought I might uh, read this prayer before we eat and drink. So this is by... Um, Patrick Otuma, who in the past has led the Koromila community in Northern Ireland, which is a community of reconciliation and peace work. And I love this prayer because it's, it's, yeah, it's intriguingly hard to get your head around. So anyway, I don't need to say any more. I'll just read it and then we can eat and drink. Where there is separation, there is pain. And where there is pain, there is story. And where there is story, there is understanding and misunderstanding, listening and not listening. May we, separated peoples, estranged strangers, unfriended families, divided communities, turn toward each other and turn toward our stories with understanding and listening, with argument and acceptance, with challenge, change and consolation. Because if God is to be found, God will be found in the space between. Amen. Let's eat and drink.